Um, my name is Russell Armstrong. Uh, I am a covenant member here at the church. I'm not one of the pastors or elders. Um, and I count it uh, quite a privilege to be uh, able to, uh, to preach this morning, to bring to you the word. Um, it, just kind of on a big picture, um, as our elders are, are away this weekend, their goal, their intent in this time is really to help them build relationships amongst themselves, to, to strengthen that team uh, so that they might serve us well. Uh, while they're away this morning, I can guarantee you that they are thinking about us, uh, that they are considering what's taking place here this morning, and um, on uh, uh, in, a, in a reciprocal manner, we're going to take this morning to spend some time thinking about them as well. Um, and we're going to do so by uh, examining uh, a passage of Scripture that comes to us at the end of the book of Hebrews, and it is going to touch on some topics of how we should be thinking about our interactions with our church leaders, with the elders. So with, with the elders and leaders gone, we're going to take the opportunity to talk a little bit about them. Uh, just know that we do so with their permission, and we have already uh, kind of worked through this um, uh, work through this with them. So we're not running rogue today, nor are we gossiping, nor are we being insubordinate. Um, so hopefully that gives you a bit of confidence uh, as we will be turning our attention to his word today. Uh, let's go ahead and start. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 13 of Hebrews. Chapter 13 of Hebrews. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 7. We're going to read through verse number... Um, 19 today. So Hebrews 13, verses 7 to 19. God, speaking to us through the author of this um, book, tells us to remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ <clears throat> is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of, lips, of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. 
Let's, uh, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, uh, for uh, the, the scripture that's in front of us and the confidence that we have knowing that this is um, a message to us from you. Lord, we thank you also for um, our, uh, our pastors, uh, the church leaders, those who serve us so well. And Lord, we ask that today as they're away, you might bless their time, uh, that they might find in their fellowship with one another great encouragement, and, um, and they might, Lord, uh, discover ways that they can continue to serve one another well and to serve us well. Lord, we pray that, um, that as your word is preached this morning in this place, that uh, it might go forth with power, Lord, that it might accomplish the purposes that you have for it. And Lord, we offer these same prayers for other churches here in this town uh, that, uh, that we partner with, and Lord, uh, churches around this country that are uh, engaged in spreading the good news of the gospel to those that are, uh, that are in their communities. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe today that are both worshiping freely and also, Lord, that are worshiping um, under oppression. We pray, Lord, that you might um, encourage them, you might bless them, Lord, that your, that your kingdom might continue to grow, that souls might continue to be saved, and that all of this might be accomplished for your honor and glory. Lord, we offer these prayers in your son Jesus' name. Amen. As we look here at chapter number 13 of Hebrews, um, uh, I'd like to just posit for you that in this passage, we'll be able to identify four directives that will influence our attitudes toward and our interactions with our elders. Um, there are some clear guidelines that we've already, you've probably already saw them jump off the page at you that talk to us um, about how we should be considering our relationship to those that are in leadership positions here in the church. Um, it's interesting that these passages come in this book and in, this con in the place that they do because it, it seems in some ways uh, to serve as a bracket for what is a summary statement of, of the big arguments of the book of Hebrews to begin with. For those of us that have not actually spent much time in the book of the Hebrews here recently, I'd like to just kind of step back for a second and remind us, about what the, uh, remind us of what the book of Hebrews really is, is all about. Uh, the author of the book of Hebrews is unknown. He's anonymous. People have different ideas as to who that author may be, but really it's not clearly laid out for us. And, it's not, it's not really a point that, uh, that we need to spend too much time focusing on. However, the audience, um, the recipients of this letter, uh, seem to be uh, Jewish converts to Christianity. Um, those uh, individuals that have a solid understanding of the Old Testament law and the requirements that are found in the, in the Jewish religion and how that, was to inter, uh, how that was to influence their actions and attitudes towards God, um, and in particularly uh, the way that they were to find righteousness. So the, the recipients of this letter were Christians who had previously 
been under a form of religion that was different than what they have been converted into. What's interesting is that these believers uh, seem to be tempted to adopt into their Christianity, into their beliefs, elements of their previous religion that in many ways um, robbed Christianity, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of its essence and in many ways of its effectiveness. So the author begins to write to them and he reminds them of just uh, how great uh, the, the object of the gospel is. Uh, he highlights for them the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We just sang a song, in the name above all names, and we're talking about Jesus. And that idea, that theme, uh, rings out to us very strong, especially in the opening chapters of this book of Hebrews. Uh, there's a, a constant reminder that Jesus is above all the other names that are out there, all the other religious, um, uh, religious personalities that you have worshipped uh, Hebrew people, whether that be Abraham, whether that be the angels, whether that be Moses, Jesus is above all of them. And, and, and the author takes uh, quite a bit of time reminding them of just that, that fact. He also goes on to remind them that the sacrifices uh, that they had been offering throughout the history of Judaism were not efficacious in and of themselves. Like they the offering of the sacrifice is not what brought salvation and hope to those who were offering them, but really they were a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that was to come. And that ultimate sacrifice that was to come was Jesus Christ himself, right? All of those images that we have in the Old Testament are really pictures of the coming Messiah. They're, they're, they're focusing people's thoughts and attentions on the Savior that is to come. And the author reminds them that the salvation, even in the Old Testament, didn't come to them through the observance of these religious works. Uh, they weren't saved because they kept the law. They weren't saved because they offered these sacrifices, but they were saved by faith. And that's where that whole passage in Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith, Right? And, it's, and those, those faithful saints are lifted up to the readers as examples of what true religion looks like. It's not a matter of works that we earn our way into um, a right relationship with the Lord, but it is through faith. It is by grace through faith. What had started to happen, though, is that is the, um, the Hebrews started to buy into these ideas that salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, was not sufficient. That there was something that needed to be added to it. There were either additional sacrifices that they needed to be doing or, or giving. There was other works that they needed to be pursuing. There were, uh, there were actions that they needed to take that might augment uh, the work of Jesus Christ. And any time we start thinking that way, we actually start robbing the gospel of its effectiveness, right? Salvation comes in us resting wholly in that work that Jesus did for us on the cross. Um, it is only by, um, uh, by accepting the fact that he paid the death penalty for our sin and that our right standing with God is, 
is brought about only by us standing in Christ's righteousness that we have any hope at all of eternal uh, security. And so these themes ring out over and over again through the book of Hebrews, and you can see them laid out in kind of this section that we just read. I want to point them out for you real quick because bracketing these themes are these thoughts for us about how we should interact with our church leaders. Look with me, if you would, in verses number 8 and 9. It says, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever, and do not be led astray by different teachings. So we're reminded again of the consistency and stability that is found in Jesus and uh, the eternal nature of this gospel of salvation by faith and the warning not to be turned from it. Verse number 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent, in other words, those who are outside of Christianity, have no right to eat. We're reminded of the exclusive nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This kind of highlights again for us that there are not other ways that we can be adopting and pulling in to our religion. Verse numbers 11 through 13 um, highlight for us just the fact that, that this belief system, this idea is going to be very unpopular. Right? We're not going to be the ones that are in the norm. We're not going to be accepted as, hey, we're, 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 we're in with the rest of the crowd out there. But really, historically, those who have um, trusted Christ and the, uh, those who have come to the Father through faith have been outcasts. And we're reminded of that here in these verses as well. Verse number 14, we're reminded that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not necessarily promise us um, that we'll be free from problems here and now in this life. But there is an element of it, the primary focus of the gospel of Jesus Christ is forward-looking towards eternity. There's, there's an eternal nature to the gospel that that gives us a sense of peace and hope and security that helps, us, um, uh, that helps us endure through the challenges and struggles that we face every day. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not say that your life will be problem-free. As a matter of fact, suffering should be normative in the Christian life. It's, it's normal. We read that throughout the, we read that throughout the scriptures. Uh, but what the gospel does do for us is it gives us a hope that there is eternal peace, blessing, security, joy in relationship with the Lord that is to come. So that's when he's talking about this eternal city that we'll, that we'll one day uh, experience there in verse number 14. And then 15, it talks about what sorts of sacrifices then um, are acceptable to the Lord. And they are sacrifices that spring forth from the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Praise that, that highlights the name of Jesus Christ actions that are motivated by gospel love for what he has done for us. So these themes that we just kind of summarize in this passage here in the middle are really capturing all of these big ideas of the, of the book of Hebrews. And, and it's, it's, it's fascinating to see that bracketing these big themes are the ideas of our relationship to our elders, our relationship to the church leaders. Um, and what we see is that Really, the Lord's saying, hey, I have some ways to help you in standing firm in your faith. Um, there are these challenges that are out there. Don't be surprised when you find yourself cast out. Don't be surprised when you find 
that, uh, that people don't want to hear that there's only one way, one truth, and one life. Um, you're going to face struggles, challenges, and problems. But there are, there are helps that I have provided for you. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us in Peter that we have all things that are necessary for life and godliness. One of those helps in this walk are the leaders of our church, are our elders. And in particular, this passage of Scripture here at the end of Hebrews highlights for us some ways that we should be interacting with them. There are four ways in particular that I want to highlight for you today, and I'll give them for you up front, and then we'll pull them straight from the passage here. The first one is that we need to use our elders. We need to use our elders. The second one is we need to follow our elders. The third one is we need to be praying for our elders. And then the fourth one is we need to know our elders. Now, you might ask and say, Russ, where is this coming from? Well, the first one, this first concept of we need to be using our elders is found for us in verse number 7. Turn with me, with me, if you would, back to this passage. Verse 7, we are in, in verse number 7, we're encouraged to remember your leaders. Now, when it talks about leaders here, we could, we, we could and we should ask the question, what leaders are being talked about? Is it right and proper for us to be thinking that what's being referenced here are our church leaders, those who are in a position of authority here within this congregation? And if you keep reading, you will see that it is right and proper, right? Because what it talks about, it says, consider your leaders, in particular, those who spoke to you the word of God. Those people who are in positions of authority in your life, uh, those that are, that are guiding and directing us, that are routinely speaking to us the words of God. Now, who are those people? In our setting, in our context here, that is the elders and leaders of this church. Uh, there's, a, there's kind of a, a past tense element here to this verse that seems to imply that the, the, the author has in mind leaders that have already passed away. When he says, hey, consider the outcome of the way of life as if their way of life has already come to a completion. So I say, hey, look at the way they lived their life. Look at what the fruit of it was. Look at the outcome of it. Imitate their faith. Uh, the tenses that are used here seem to imply that he's talking about those leaders that walked with the church um, all the way up until the time that they passed on into eternity. Now, here at Providence Row, we don't actually have that, um, uh, that situation. We have not been around long enough to actually be in a relationship with our elders to watch them pass all the way through that. But it, the, the principle of watching them and remembering them still applies and is appropriate while our leaders are with us today. And it's good for us to note that first and foremost, we are encouraged just to remember that they exist. Like remember that your elders are there. The Lord has given us all kinds of tools to help us when, we're when we face challenges spiritually, um, emotionally, um, uh, when, we are, when we are tempted to give up, when we're tempted to give in to the temptations of the world around us. God has given us a multitude of helps, right? He's given us his, his word. He's given us the Bible as, as one amazing help. He's given us the, the gift of prayer, as another one. He's given us a, a Christian community, brothers and sisters that we can rely on also. 
And he's also given us um, Christian leaders. Isn't it just like us to forget all four of those helps and those gifts and all the other helps and gifts that the Lord has given us when we find ourselves in desperate situations? We find ourselves uh, confronted with uh, opposition around us or we're tempted to sin. And instead of running to those helps, we forget all about them. We forget that the Lord's word is right there. We forget that we have access to God the Father through prayer. We forget that there are Christian brothers and sisters around us. And we forget that there are leaders around us that are directed and authorized to speak the word of God into our lives. So as we start to think, first of all, as to how we should be interacting with our elders, let me encourage you to use them as advisors, as teachers, and as examples. That's what this passage here is talking to us about, using them as uh, examples to follow. As a matter of fact, it says, hey, consider the fruit of their life. Look at them, watch them, see how they live, and see the blessings of their relationship with the Lord as it plays out when they're struggling and when they're facing challenges as well. The passage goes on to say that we should actually imitate them. That's a, that's a pretty powerful um, command or directive right there, imitate them. Well, for some background on what uh, on what we should be thinking about here. It's good for us to reference um, another passage of Scripture that addresses this same topic, and it comes to us from the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says to his readers there, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So when we start to think about, hey, what is it that we should be observing? What is it we should be imitating when we look at our elders? We should be trying to imitate those elements of their life that are Christ-like. And this really kind of sets the context for all of our relationships with our elder and all four of these directives is that when we look at these directives, we should actually look behind the elders and see Jesus Christ as the backdrop for them as really the, the backstop, the safety net behind them. As we attempt to, um, f to uh, imitate, to, uh, to listen to our elders, to use them, we do so viewing them in the lens of Christ himself, imitating them as they follow Christ. This is good also that we have a plurality of elders, right? that we have multiple elders. Because what's that saying is, hey, I'm going to give you actually several guys up there, and each of them are going to demonstrate different images of Christ, right? We're going to each image the Lord in different ways. Um, and there are certain characteristics and, and, um, and fruits of the Spirit evident in Jay that might be different than in Jeremy. So as we look to imitate, we should be uh, looking to say, hey, I really love the way that, that Jeremy uh, is is so focused on the details uh, when he is when he's talking and teaching. It's like he's got he, there's an element of of detail that that's good for us to be in, involved in. When we look at Jay, we look at kind of that relational aspect and in the way that he can paint pictures for us, and we see certain elements of the way they act and teach that reveal to us certain truths about who Jesus is. And in each of them, it's good for us to remember that they that they're all human beings as well. So 
where they fall short of imitating Christ, look to one of the other elders, right? And find elsewhere that picture that, uh, that we should be following. Um, and we're not, uh, we're not going to be quick to be judgmental of areas where you might say, oh, that's not exactly a perfect image of Christ. Um, look to the fact that we have uh, uh, multiple elders and find elements in each of their lives that are worthy to be imitated as they imitate Christ. Um, so the first point then is we should be using our elders as examples. The second one is we should be following them. At the kind of conclusion of this encouragement to stand firm in the faith, we have this instruction in verse number 17 to obey them, to obey our leaders and submit to them. Now this of all of the the directives today is probably one that's going to be the most uncomfortable for us even to to think about, right? Um, but this is the Bible that's speaking this, right? It's not Russ that's up here saying, hey, this is how we should act. I'm just reading the black and white here off the page. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. When I think about this directive, I would say that we need to follow our elders as spiritual guides. And I'm going to use this word guides intentionally. And it brings to mind, when I think about guides, it brings to mind to me um, a whitewater rafting trip that I was on um, a few years back. And on that whitewater rafting trip, um, those of us that were, that were part of it were under the direction of a guide, a guy that sat in the back of the boat and actually directed the whole affair. Before we started on the trip, the guide explained to us um, how he was going to be giving us commands, how we should respond to those commands with the different strokes that we're going to be using there to direct the raft. He told us how that we should wear our helmets. He explained to us how we should don our life vests. Uh, and he said, hey, if you guys listen to me today, we're going to have a great time out there on the river. We'll all reach the end safely and securely, and, and we'll, we'll enjoy our afternoon um, together. Uh, he did give us one other thing as well. He gave us some instructions as to what to do if for some reason we were to fall out of the boat. And it just so happened as we were going through this day on the river that we crested what appeared to be kind of a small waterfall. Um, and before I knew it, I found myself out of the boat and in the river. Um, not just in the river, but underwater in the river. And I remembered as I was underwater in the river, some instruction that the guy gave me. He said, if you feel like you're inside of a washing machine getting tumbled around, um, don't start reaching out and try to grab things because you might actually entangle yourself. He said, just kind of pull your arms and legs in, ball up, and let the life vest do its thing. Eventually, you'll pop up. So as I was thinking about his instruction and the possibility that I might be meeting Jesus at the same time, I, uh, I kind of balled up and just waited it out. And after what seemed like a, a very long time, I eventually popped up, and it was kind of several boat lengths down from the waterfall. When I popped up, the guy looked at me and kind of had a smile on his face, like a little bit of relief that he had, not as much as relief as I had, but he looked at me with a smile on his face, and he said, boy, it took a little while for you to pop up, didn't it? And I said, yeah, it sure did. Um, 
he pulled, you know, eventually pulled me back on the boat, and off we went on down the way. My point being is that during that time when I was churning, when I was struggling, uh, the words of the guide came to mind, and I implemented them, right? Technically speaking, in light of this verse, I obeyed and submitted to his direction, and it ended up working out to my advantage. He ended up joyfully pulling me back into the boat. I ended up joyfully getting back in the boat. The whole crew reached the end of the day with much happiness, and it all worked out great. Um, that obedience and that submission to him was not harmful to me, nor was it burdensome to me or to him. And it's kind of in this same way, this guide-like thinking that we should be thinking about our elders as we consider the fact that they are to give an account for our condition. Their motive for working with us is to see us reach the end of this journey safely and joyfully so that on the end, uh, we might all look back together and say, hey, what a, what a great journey that was together as we walked that walk of faith one with another. For just a point of reference, turn with me, if you would, over to 1 Peter. It talks a little bit about this. 1 Peter chapter number 5, providing a little bit of context here. Peter writes to the elders, talking about their motive in leading us and guiding us. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, how? As God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an, an un, the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, our elders are actually um, in a very challenging situation. They will one day, the Bible teaches us, give an account for how they cared for your soul, for my soul. That's a pretty heavy weight for them to be carrying, isn't it? Um, in the same way that the guide was going to have to give an account to the owner of that rafting company as to how he got all of the members of that raft down to the end, so too the elders will have to give an account one day of how they cared for you. So when we start to talk about, hey, obey and submit to the leadership, follow the leadership of the elders, do so with the understanding that they are concerned about what is in your best interest. It's good for us also to understand, hey, the scope that we're talking about here is not them reaching into areas of your life that are outside of matters of faith and, and our spiritual walk, right? It would have been wrong for the, the whitewater rafting guy to be giving me direction as to how to interact with my family or my marriage relationship. That was outside of the scope of his leadership, right? When we start to think about the way that uh, the elders are authorized to speak into our lives, it has to do with... with matters of faith, spiritual maturity, um, our conduct as a congregation. You know, think things like when the elders encourage us to be a part of a gospel community group. It's a way in which they're trying to shepherd us better, 
So they're desiring to see you get through this walk um, safely so they can give an account to the Lord. So they say, hey, we want you to be engaged in these sorts of activities. Pursue gospel-centered friendships. Join into a gospel community. Be in a discipling relationship. Like these are the types of things we should be listening to from our elders and not necessarily pushing back against, but saying, hey, why are they asking me to do this? Well, they're asking me to do this because they care about me. They want to see me safely through this walk of faith that we're in. Um, the next directive that we see comes to us from the very next verse here in verse number, um, in verse number 18. Let me flip back over to Hebrews. Hebrews verse, seven, uh, verse 17 tells us to obey our, elder, uh, our leaders. Verse number 18, the author's writing to this group, and he says, pray for us. So um, it's important for us to understand that the author here is definitely speaking in a point of authority over the readers, right? He's been encouraging them. He's been warning them. He's been exhorting them in their lifestyle. And then he says to them, hey, will you pray for me? Uh, pray for me, please, um, that I might actually... Um, achieve something that I can't achieve right now, that I might be with you because there's something preventing me from being with you. It's good for us as members of the church, as those that are under the leadership of the elders, to keep in mind that they are brothers with us in this walk. They are in this battle together with us, and they're not immune from the same challenges that we face. Um, how often do you pray for our pastors and elders of the church? And when you do pray, what do you pray for? Let me give you just a few um, examples of what you might be praying for. First of all, when you pray for your elders, keep in mind the challenges that they face in carrying out the task that they've been called to. And pray that that, that challenge of shepherding our souls might, um, might not be overly burdensome for them but that the Lord might grant them wisdom and kindness and courage to lead us well so that they might one day give a good accounting to God for their interactions with us. Pray that God would grant our elders the ability to do their primary tasks. Secondly, I would encourage you to ask God to help the elders grow in their own love and understanding of the gospel so that their lives might be insulated from the effects of sin, might, might stand stronger against the effects of sin. We see so many pastors and preachers and, and leaders out there that um, end up being disqualified from the office uh, because of the effects of sin in their life. Pray that God will insulate them from those challenges and that their conduct might be exemplary, right? The the qualifications for, this, for that office that they're in are quite high. You can find them in 1 Timothy. You can look at them in Titus. Um, the, the elders that we have leading us in our church are not there with uh, kind of haphazardly, but they've actually been vetted. They've gone through a, a, a selection process, kind of a peer review, you might say, to say, are these people actually qualified to do so? And part of that qualification is to have a testimony that they walk with the Lord, to have... Um, a good report with those around them to display to us um, elements of good Christian living. Pray that the Lord might help them do that. And that comes from a firm understanding of the gospel working its way out in their lives as opposed to just piling on conduct on the outside and trying to force it. So pray that they might have um, a love for the gospel. Fourthly, 
um, or, or thirdly, pray for uh, them to have a good balance between the responsibilities that they have to us as a church, leading us as a congregation, and leading their homes. Um, being involved in the leadership of a church is very challenging, and it will pull um, uh, our leaders in many different directions. And oftentimes, um, certain other elements get neglected. And many times that happens to be the family. So just pray that the Lord might give them wisdom, that they might balance well those responsibilities of caring for their families and caring for the flock at the same time. In particular, pray for their marriages, that those relationships might be rich and rewarding and might be fertile ground to have a home setting that is uh, restful, that is, um, uh, that is invigorating, that contributes to their ability then to serve the flock well. Fourth, pray that the Holy Spirit might grant them a spirit of cooperation within the team. Right? They're, they're working together towards a common goal, and oftentimes those team settings um, can be opportunities for conflict. Pray that that's not the case with our elders. Pray for them that they might have a cooperative and loving spirit amongst themselves. And then fifth, pray that the Lord might grant them a love for the church and that the church might love them as well. And that's going to play itself out in so many different ways. Um, so I would encourage you, if you're not currently praying for your elders, please do so. And think of other ways that you can pray for them as well besides these five. The last directive that we see in this passage of Scripture actually comes from us from uh, later in the chapter, near the end. So I'd like to draw your attention down to verse number 24. In verse number 24, we're directed to greet all our leaders and all the saints. And then, we're reminded, and then the author says, those who come from Italy send you greetings. This last piece here is, the, the last directive is that we should know our elders, is, the, is what I'm going to take from this. Um, the, author, the author specifically directs the readers to go out and greet those that are leading them. Um, he wants them to know, that he wants them to be in relationships with them that are kind and friendly and encouraging. Um, it's, it, it's really in many ways the first directive that should take place sequentially, right? We should be in relationships with our elders that are, that are comfortable, that are kind, that are knowing, that allow us to be greeting them as we would anybody else around us. Don't feel intimidated by them to go up and speak to them and get to know them. Um, because if you don't get to know them, it's going to be very difficult to imitate their, their way of life, right? If you don't get to know them, it's going to be very difficult for you to receive instruction for them, understanding their motives. Um, and we're oftentimes going to attribute to them wrong motives if we don't know their hearts. If we don't actually know them and have a kind relationship towards them, it's going to be very difficult for us to pray for them as well. And this commandment doesn't say, hey, stand back and wait for them to come greet you. It doesn't say make yourself available for the elders to come and say hello to you. It actually puts the onus of the action upon us, doesn't it? It says, hey, you go, you find them, you greet them, you interact with them. Uh, how well do you actually know the leaders of the church? How well, you know, are, are you on a friendly basis with them? Are there, is there at least one or two of them that you could call up at any given time and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this right now? Uh, can you help me? Um, or does that relationship not exist at all with any of them? 
If not, you're robbing yourself of a resource that God has given us to help us in our walk of faith. In all of these situations, it's important for us to understand that the backdrop of each of these directives is really our relationship with Jesus Christ as well. Right? We, fall, we, we imitate our elders as they imitate Christ. We follow our elders as they are in subjection to Christ and will one day have to give an account to him. We pray for our elders um, knowing that their relationship with Christ is critical to our relationship as well. And, and lastly, we know our elders so that in many ways we might know Christ better. Um, it's good for us as we look at the leadership of our church to keep in mind that they are imaging for us elements of, of godly character that, um, that God has put here specifically for us. And it's different than just listening to preaching off of a podcast or on YouTube, right? Because our elders know us. They know our circumstances. They know what's going on in Norman. They know what life is like here in this church. They know what's happening at the school setting. So they are people that are living in the same setting as you are, that are explicitly qualified to speak to us the words of truth, that are explicitly qualified to have their lives examined, um, and that we can look at them listening not only to their words, but assessing their actions also, knowing that they are um, qualified to speak to us. I hope today that as you kind of just kind of look through this passage here in chapter 13 of Hebrews with me, that your eyes might be open to the resource that's out there for us in our Christian walk. They are praying for us today. They are thinking about us today. Are we thinking about them in the same way? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for uh, each of the men that are serving in positions of leadership here in the church. We thank you for our elders. We thank you, Lord, also for all the other individuals, Lord, that are serving on staff or or um, serving in committees that are making decisions here in the church. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have equipped uh, your body. Lord, we today uh, especially thank you for the way that, um, that you have given us the gift of godly eldership, Lord, so that we might know you better. Lord, we thank you that we're reminded that they serve us as under-shepherds uh, in many ways, Lord, imaging for us uh, the great high priest, the great shepherd. Um, and Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be a part of this church and the ministry that they have in our lives. Help us, Lord, to, um, uh, to remember these directives, to put them into, into proper practice, Lord, that, uh, that not only might we find benefit, but our elders might be um, blessed in the way that they lead and guide us. And we offer these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.